Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you are married, you probably remembered this. If you're not yet married, one day you will uh, remember this. I can still very specifically not only remember, but feel what it was like to meet Jackie's family, uh, to meet Jackie's family and to hang out with them for the first time. It was Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, one of those days, I can't remember um, that specifically. And I had spent the morning with my family and then drove an hour and a half to Dallas, uh, a suburb there of Dallas, Carrollton, in order to spend Christmas or the holiday there with her family. I'd never met them before. We'd been dating uh, for about a month, a little over a month. And so I was going to go and hang out with their family. It's a, it's a special day. It's a special moment. It's a momentous moment at the time. Uh, I'm sure her family's thinking, I mean, we'll see if he stays, but turns out like 18 years later, still here, you know, um, much to their disappointment or maybe, I don't know. And so I made that trip and here's the deal. Here's the thing about it. I grew up in a culture and in a way that believed that those people who lived in large cities, particularly Dallas, were different. We thought that they were rich. We thought that they were we thought that they thought that they were better than us. We thought that they were better than us. You know, it's just this, this intimidation factor when it comes to folks who live in the big city, those who live in Dallas. So that was going on. The other thing that was happening was that Jackie's mom is Cuban. And I had never spent any time around Cubans. They celebrate the holidays differently, particularly Christmas. And so my mind was not sure how that was going to go. You know, I'm a small town East Texan. I'm going to spend Christmas with this big city Cuban uh, family. So all that was going on. And their family had traditions that my family did not have. Their family is one of the families that uh, you, you set all the Christmas presents out. And then from youngest to oldest, one at a time, you open them through that torturous event. Have y'all, anybody's family like that? You know, my family was like papers flying, you know, you're opening the wrong gift. It doesn't matter. Somebody else, yeah, that sort of thing. So what I'm trying to say is in that experience, there was um, the, the way her family was. There's the way that Cubans are. There's the Dallas way. And all of that had me out of my way, feeling out of, uh, out of place. And we tend to do everything we can to avoid those moments or those circumstances. We usually don't look for times where we are out of bounds and we certainly don't wanna be considered out of the norm. And yet in this story, in Mark chapter seven, Jesus is both of those things. A very, very strange story. In fact, for first century standards and even by our own century standards, Jesus is a square peg in a round hole in this story. But it's those conflicts, those tension points that are helpful, informative, and even formative for us as Christians. In fact, the way in which he goes out of his way to be out of sync with every other expectation 
that they had on him is exactly what we need him to do. Let's pray about it and then we'll talk about it. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the ways that you have blessed this church. God, we are thankful for those who are coming together to celebrate, those who are first time or many times. You have blessed this church tremendously. So many people gathered together and that's encouraging, that is helpful. Next hour we will baptize and we wanna give you glory for that as well. God, in this next half hour or so, may our minds and our hearts be open to you. May we be challenged by your word. And God, very thankful that your son stepped out of bounds, went out of the norm in order to bring us salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray together, amen. Mark chapter seven, 24 through 37 is where I'm gonna be. I typically like to focus in on one story at a time. I could preach the rest of my life every Sunday and never preach the entirety of the Bible. So I like to focus in on one story at a time and even usually preach one verse from one story at a time. But what we're gonna do today is actually two stories pushed together. And Mark does it on purpose. We're gonna look at it. It's the comparison and the contrast of the two stories that really encourage us, that really bring new lights to the mission of Christ and how it impacts our lives. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Because I don't normally read this much text, I wanna invite you to make sure that you engage with the text. So one way to do that is to imagine the story. Picture it in your mind. Another way to do that that's very helpful is to read along with it in your Bible. If you have your Bible, you can open that up in your lap. You can download an application on your phone or, or device, or it'll be on the board behind us. But make sure that your mind is fully engaged in this text because you're gonna need to see pieces of it later on as we, as we preach it. Here's what the word of God says in chapter uh, seven, verse 24. And he got up and he departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered the house and he did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, Immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she was asking him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take what's the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And when she went back home, she found her daughter or her child laying there on the bed and the demon was gone. Verse 31, and again, leaving that region of Tyre, he went by way to Sidon, by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. And so he took him away from the crowd in private and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply. And he said to him, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. And they were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. This text includes some things that don't really fit into our cleaned up 
image or vision of Jesus, and yet they're there, and so we have to deal with them. The two things that I want to point out about these two stories are that Jesus steps out of bounds and he acts out of the norm. Out of bounds and out of the norm. A quick reading just shows you that there is an emphasis here on where he is and who he is speaking to. The stories don't always include so much detail about the location of what Jesus is doing and saying, and yet this story does. And so it should be highlighted. You can see it very clearly in verses 24, 26, and 31. There's this emphasis that he goes to Tyre, and then when he's done in Tyre, he's going to leave that region, go back to the Sea of Galilee, through Sidon, and even over through the area of the Decapolis. Now, these regions are probably unfamiliar to you. They are still in existence, Tyre and Sidon are some of the oldest continually inhabited communities on the globe. Tyre is fascinating. You should Google it, particularly Google um, how it fell to Rome. So you got Tyre and Sidon and Jesus at the, uh, when he's done helping the woman, he goes back to the Sea of Galilee. That's where he's from. That's his home base. And he goes by way of the Decapolis. Decapolis just means 10 cities. That's what the word means. But over time, this list of cities that were included in the Decapolis um, expand. Not only 10, but upwards of 14 at times. All of this detail is there. All of these ideas are there and they want you to know this. Another thing that Mark is clear to tell you is that when he's in the region of Tyre, likely not out in the city of Tyre, but in the region of Tyre, when he comes through Sidon on the way to Galilee, he does so by going through the Decapolis. This is fascinating because I heard one or read one commentator say it like this. This is the equivalent, not in distance, but just in regional kind of um, association. This is the equivalent of saying that you're going from New York to Chicago by way of Boston, all right? If you know that region up there, you don't have to go through Boston. In fact, you should not go through Boston in order to go from New York to Chicago. Jesus is purposefully going out of his way. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is mentioned clearly in verse 24. Jesus is trying to get out of his way. He doesn't want to be noticed. He's pursuing rest, respite, a break from the ministry and for, from the ever or, or the never ending need of people. Jesus is trying to go out of bounds on purpose so that nobody finds him. Verse 24 says he went into a house and he didn't want anybody to know that he was there. So he's not looking for anybody to help or to heal. He's trying to get rest. And he looks for this rest in regions and in cities that are Greek with Syrophoenician people walking around. They are Greek, they are Gentile, they are not Jew. That's the point here. Mark wants you to see that he is moving outside of the home base, outside of the home culture, outside of the home ethnicity, all the way out of bounds on purpose. He's trying to get away. He's going northwest away from all of the day-to-day -day needs. And it's not only where he goes, but it's who he speaks with. This one's a little bit easier for us to pick up. The people that he spoke to were demonstra demonstrably other. These people are completely other than Jesus. Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, is first interrupted in his pursuit of rest by a Syrophoenician woman. Again, she's Greek, he's 
Jew. There's a cultural schism there. There is a ethnic divide. There is no love loss between the two. They don't like them and they, them don't like they back, all right? So that's one of the reasons that Jesus pushes her aside. And it's one of the reasons why it's so interesting that she has a conversation with him. Not only is she Syrophoenician, Greek, but she's also a she, she's a woman. And in that point in time, women were not respected. They were not allowed to be educated or um, particularly religiously educated. There was no reason for them to speak to the rabbi. She couldn't uh, provide for herself her own land. She is other. And in their estimation, she would be completely less than the Jewish rabbi. He's respected. She's not. He's influential, obviously, huge crowds. And she is not. She's of no influence. And yet he helps her. Secondly, he helps a guy who is deaf. Says he was deaf and there's different English translations that talk about his tongue. It was unable to speak. It's, it's just like today. If you ever meet a person who is hearing um, disabled, then their, their, their tongue, or they won't say the words the same way that we say the words, simply because they haven't heard the words the same way that we hear the words. Now, there's nothing religiously different or difficult to understand about Jesus associating with a deaf person. It's not like, you know, when we talk about lepers, and we talk about that Jewish rabbis and teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they wouldn't have associated with lepers because they were considered religiously unclean. That's not the case for those who are deaf. That's not the idea behind this. Instead, there's just this idea or this question mark about why Jesus would take any time at all to deal with the deaf person. And I don't, I don't wanna sound rude, or not um, compassionate. But thus far in Mark, what we've discovered is that Jesus has arrived with a very clear purpose in mind. And he says it in chapter one, I have come to preach the gospel. I have come to share a message. I have come to speak the message, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This guy couldn't hear the message. Furthermore, we've already seen that his disciples are his disciples for a purpose. Jesus is gathering people together so that he can speak the message to them and then they could in turn, at least one time in twos, go out and share that message. This guy can't do either. He can't hear and he can't speak well. So to put it bluntly, what reason does Jesus have in diverting from his plans to deal with a person who is of no missional value. My point is in the broadest view of the story, it leaves you wondering, what is he doing? Why is he being recorded? Why is this being told to us? And what benefit is it to us and Jesus and his mission? She has no influence. She can't, he can't help her and then that turn around be influential for the community. This guy has no ability. She has no influence, he has no ability. Logically, we would all think it would be much better for Jesus to head south towards Jerusalem, towards the, uh, towards the regional hub of commerce and religion and influence, to go towards Jerusalem and to make friends with those who are influential. 
those who are wealthy, those who have abilities, those who attract crowds. That would make sense. But Jesus in this story isn't doing that. He's headed northwest towards the outsiders and the outcast, towards the broken and the disregarded. What is he doing and why is he helping those people? Well, he's meeting them exactly where they are. But it still brings that question of why is he doing it? Look, it's not only that he goes out of bounds, but he also goes out of the norm here. And to be honest with you, anytime I've ever heard these stories preached, it's much more about what he does and says than where he is. But I needed to lay that foundation about where he is. But now let's look at what it is that he does and says, because this is, this is even more strange. You can see it first in verse 27 to begin with. He calls this lady a dog. And that's not nice. No one wants to be called a dog. So what's happening here? I think what he's doing is he's emphasizing that divide, exactly what it is that I just talked about. Those two don't belong in the same room. His people and her people do not mix together. They don't have good, uh, they don't have a good view of each other, so much so that Jesus's people refer to her people as dogs. What Jesus is pointing out here is as she comes to him and she asks him for a favor, Jesus is essentially saying, hey, you do know that I'm not supposed to help you. He says to her in a way that would make the whole crowd say, Jesus is just saying what we're all thinking. They call you dogs. Why are you asking him for a favor? That's what he's pointing out. He wants to show you, the reader, those, the livers, that there is a cultural gap here. For us, we think of uh, dogs as pets. That's largely how we consider dogs. And for some of you, you even think of them as family. As much as that doesn't make any sense to me, you do. You feed them with your fork, you let them lay in your bed, you do all that kinds of stuff. But to them, that's not the case. That's not the case. They consider dogs to be little more than large rats. They were outside. They weren't carried into the home. They surely didn't let them near their face. You know, all that kind of stuff. They were outside. They were gross, these sort of things. And that's what Jesus's people refers to her as. And here's the, more, here's the other fascinating thing about it to me. But I guess not culturally unexpected, but here's the fact. She doesn't even argue with him. She doesn't say, hey, that's not nice. She doesn't say, oh, I thought you were a religious person. You should call me a dog. It's not, that's not... I just need some help. You're going to insult me? She refers to herself as though she says, yes, fine. Look, I know you guys don't respect us. I know you guys don't care for us, but even dogs eat the crumbs at the children's feet. The things that fall to the ground. She says to him, Lord, look, I'm not looking for special privileges here. I'm just looking for, for the overflow. She recognizes that he is the only one. Look, we make a huge deal, and we should, about the fact that Jesus steps across cultural bounds, that Jesus steps across um, normal expectations in his life. But just for a second, without taking anything away from Jesus, just focus on what she is doing. She is stepping across those cultural bounds. She is approaching a person she knows will probably ridicule her, that she knows will probably push her to the side. She has immense bravery in this. Why? Because she needs help. Because her daughter is sick. 
because her daughter needs somebody to step in. So she steps towards Jesus across the uncomfortable reality to ask Jesus for what. So let me ask you this. Who is someone in your life that you know and love that needs Jesus? Is there anybody, family member, friend, is there anybody that so much needs Jesus that you are willing to be humiliated in front of Jesus, humbled in front of Jesus saying, God, I don't deserve it. I don't expect it, but I'm asking you to help them. Anybody that we're willing to be that humble in front of Jesus for. He calls her a dog and that's so out of norm. But it's not the only out of norm thing he does, right? Right, the next part's even weirder. Verse 33, it's not only odd that Jesus calls that woman a dog, but then what he does to this deaf man is just, outside the pale. He helps him in this really odd scene. He takes the guy off to the side, puts his fingers in the dude's ear. I don't have to read anything else, right? Nothing else. When's the last time a total stranger walked up to you and just stuck their fingers in your ears? It probably has not ever happened to you. It would result in physical altercation. It's just weird. But he does that. Sticks his finger in his, but if we keep reading, we then find out that Jesus spits on his hand and then touches the man's tongue with that spit. Listen, through reading this and studying for it, I discovered that their culture did not have the same view of spit the way that we do, all right? Um, That's probably because of their lack of knowledge about germs, all right? But They just didn't have the same view. It wasn't that unusual. Like, you know, when he heals the blind man and he makes mud from his spit, he spits into the dirt, into the clay. He mixes it together and puts it on the guy's eye. They just didn't have the same view of it. I was talking to a guy close to my age this week about this and how uh, when I was a kid, it wasn't unusual to see men stand around and spit. Some of them had tobacco, others were just spitting. I don't know why, it's just a thing that men did, you know? But guys my age, we don't do that anymore. We don't, because it's gross, it's disgusting. You shouldn't do that, you know? We just don't do it. Our, our view of spit has changed. But when we read this through our cultural eyes, we're thinking, this is repulsive. This is crazy, this is weird. Especially when you read stories like in Matthew where he helps the leper and all he does is say, I'm willing to make you clean and the leper is healed, right? Why can't Jesus do that? That's normal, it's acceptable. Just say you're, you can hear And he hears. Why do you do all this weird stuff, Jesus? Well, just for a second, I want to show you something about that story that in fact for me takes it way out of the repulsive side and way over to the beautiful side. I already mentioned two other stories where Jesus heals other people. There's the blind man, the leper, and then this one, right? Think about it for just a second. This blind man comes up to Jesus and he wants to be healed. And Jesus makes clay in his hands. The blind man couldn't see what Jesus was doing, but he could feel it on his eyes. When he's asking for Jesus' help, he takes his hands, dip down in the clay, the very clay that we are made from, that Genesis says we were fashioned by. Takes that clay and he presses it against his eyes. Jesus, the man couldn't see it, but he could feel it. And then the leper in Matthew, 
this person with a skin disease comes up to Jesus, whom in that day and time, when you contracted leprosy, you were then pushed out, excluded from the community, outside of the walls. And it's hard enough to live out there by yourself, but one of the worst things about it is the reality that for the rest of your life, likely, you will never be touched again. There will be no hug from your mama. There will be no embrace from your wife. There will be no jumping into your arms from your children. No one will ever touch you again because of that disease. And the Bible very clearly says that this man approaches Jesus from a distance and says to him, if you are willing, you can make me whole. And the Bible says that Jesus reached out his hands and touched him and said, I'm willing, you're whole. Now, we got this deaf guy who can't hear. He hasn't heard. And imagine you're that person. Mark has repeatedly told us throughout the scriptures that the whole town's talking, that everybody is talking about Jesus, that the stories of Jesus are spreading like crazy which is amazing and it's true and it's good and he hadn't heard any of it. He doesn't know. He hasn't heard the story. And then all of a sudden his friends one day grab him and pull him, push him and bring him into a mob, a mob scene of hundreds, thousands of people trying to get to this one stranger And right there in the midst of the stranger, they push him through the crowd and up there in front of this stranger named Jesus. But you don't know that. You haven't heard that. And as he's sitting there in front of them, they begin to speak and they're saying words and he's saying words and people are speaking all. And there's this excitement in the air, but you don't know it. You don't understand it. You can't understand what's going on in the story. And so Jesus, out of compassion, takes the man out of the crowd. He's not a spectacle. He's not an example, he's not an illustration. Jesus cares for the person and pulls him out of the mob and off to the side, it says in private, Jesus, lovingly compassionate Jesus, puts his fingers in his ears and pulls them out. He says, this is what I'm gonna do for you. Then he says, my mouth will be like your mouth. You will be able to speak. You will be able to hear. And then looking up to heaven, so the man knows where his power comes from. He breathes deeply. And then he says, and I think the man could hear, be opened. The first thing that this man ever hears is the words of Jesus, be opened. And then he could speak and then he could hear. I don't know about you, But that's not repulsive, that's beautiful. Because Jesus not only goes way out of bounds to meet people where they are, but then he stoops all the way down, way out of the norm in order to meet them where they understand. See, she thought he'll reject me because I'm different. And he said, I know that, but I'll help you anyways. This man couldn't understand anything. It's likely he did not, he understood things. He was smart in his own right, but he didn't understand what was happening in that moment. And Jesus steps into that all the way down and helps him. See, this isn't 
weird. This isn't crazy. This isn't repulsive. This is Jesus being Jesus. So Jesus goes out of bounds and out of the norm to help the outsider. And even when it isn't his primary objective, he stops what he's doing to help somebody that is in need. So let me ask you this question. University student, empty nesters, parents, all of you. Let me ask you this question. I don't care if you're surrounded by those you love. And what. Do you ever feel like the outsider? Like the person that's not good enough to be around Jesus? That's so other. That's so distant. Like, sure, Jesus loves those people, but not me. Do you ever feel like you have no ability, no thing you can contribute to the kingdom? I can't speak. I can't lead. I have no influence. Do you ever feel like that? Let me tell you this. I am telling you that he just doesn't care about that. That he will step in and step all the way toward you and love you. I have found out that the longer I do ministry, the more you look like you've got it all together, it's very likely you, you either do have it together, but inside you're dying. You have it all together, but inside you're unfulfilled. You've got it all together, but inside you're lonely and you're scared. One of the harshest realities of life is the more successful you are, the higher the platform you stand on, the more privileged the position that you are within, whether that's like captain of the team or or valedictorian, the, the smartest in the group, the one that's leading the way, the one that just got the bonuses and the raise, the one, the more you have that, the more lonely and isolated you become. Everybody thinks everybody else is inviting you to dinner and nobody's inviting you to dinner because everybody else thinks that everybody else is doing it. So you sit there in your own loneliness, always feeling like the outsider, always feeling like the stranger. Can I share something with you? Listen to me. It is no more ridiculous that Jesus would leave Tyre by way of Sidon to go through Decapolis to get home than he would step out of glory away from the throne onto the earth to save you. It's no more out of the norm that Jesus would put his fingers in the deaf man's ears and pull them out than that he would stretch out his arms and the God of the universe would die for you. You can feel like you're the stranger and the outcast all day long. And in a lot of ways, we all are. But the reality is, he deeply loves you. Every one of you. So accept that and trust that. And then know this, in the story, both stories, the woman and her daughter, the deaf man and his friends, both stories had the, the they factor. Somebody else did everything they could to get the person that had the need to the person who could fix it. Who is that in your life? There ought to be somebody like that in your life. As a dad, one of the things that I have to do, it is my job to do, is to regularly compel my sons to go outside. It's just part of the job. And this has been the case for all, you know, people talk about kids these days, blah, blah, blah. I mean, kids back in the day, kids my day, played the regular Nintendo until we went blind, right? But we have screen time, Netflix, and all that sort of stuff. 
And so I regularly have to tell my boys, I say, go outside. Go, go play ball. Go play with the neighbors. Go practice basketball. Go for a run. Go walk the dog. Go something outside. Sometimes they'll say, I don't have anything to do. And I say, I don't care. Then just go sit outside. Just be in the outside. I'm telling you, you can be in the outside and the outside is glorious. And so I want to end today with encouraging you to go outside. Go outside your agenda. Keep in mind that Jesus had an agenda. Jesus was tired. He needed rest. That's what he was going to go do. He didn't want anybody to know he was there. And that's a valid thing. Any of y'all fed 20,000 people from a miracle, walked on water, taught, you know, taught thousands? No, you haven't. If you did, you'd be tired, all right? So he's tired, he's going, he's going to rest. And it's fine if Jesus says, do not disturb, all right? I'm not taking any calls right now. On his way to that, then on his way home, he meets us. Look, I know that you have things you gotta do and they're important. Things you gotta do or people don't get paid. Things you gotta do or you don't pass. Things you gotta do or the mission and the ministry doesn't carry on. But let me just tell you this, every person that you cross on the way to do the thing you gotta do is the person you need to be near. All of them need to be closer to Jesus. So that's when you have those gospel conversations. Step outside of your agenda. And then I would say, step outside of your comfort zone. Step outside of what's comfortable. The number one reason I hear about people not telling others about Jesus, the number one reason I hear about people not sharing the gospel is because what? It will be awkward. I don't want to bring that up. It's awkward. I don't want to say, what if I say that? It's going to be awkward. It's not awkward. It's just not. I can't tell you how many times I've been standing at a restaurant and the person next to me who I've never met in my life leans over and goes, so what are you getting? That's awkward. (laughs) It's none of your business. Unless maybe you've tried these things before. What are you getting, you know? Then it's both of our business. That's just, that's conversations. Earlier this week, um, some of the staff and I, we were walking down Front Street where we're headed over to O'Malley's to get a hamburger. And O'Malley's has the best hamburgers in town, by the way, if you don't know. And so we were going over there to get an O'Malley's burger and there was this lady in front of us. She was 40, maybe 50, dressed normally, except for the fact that she had cat ears and a cat tail. She's walking around like nobody's business. Listen, in Conway, Arkansas, that's awkward. It's out of the norm. It's not, it's not right, just doesn't fit. In Conway, Arkansas, telling people about Jesus, that's not out of the norm. You can do that here, it's okay. Here's the sad reality. Sadly, most of the people in our church have had more conversations the last few weeks about the University of Colorado's football coach or the girlfriend of the Kansas City tight ends than they have about Jesus Christ in their entire lives. Let's flip that. Let's change that. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.